0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Ice the Kicker podcast. My name is Glenn DeNegres, alongside, as always, Matt Ferrara. Week five of the NFL in the books. It took until Tuesday, but it's over. Um, Week six on its way, and there's already big news that just broke a couple hours ago. In the NFL, last episode, we made kind of a pact to not talk about the Giants and Jets, but that (laughs) is certainly going to change this week, as there's news on both the Jets So Le'Veon Bell is out. We speculated this, a couple weeks ago on one of our episodes of what the Jets could do. Obviously not playing to win. Obviously not good enough to win. So why have Le'Veon Bell Bell there in the first place? They don't want him. He doesn't want them. So it finally Mm -hmm. came to a head tonight. The Jets released Le'Veon Bell. So what that means is that they just got rid of him. They just paid him his money. It's like, get the hell out of here. Um, so the Jets don't get any talent back. They embarrassed themselves last week. You know, they embarrass themselves every week, but that was, you know, a little worse. So the, the same old Jets, I mean, they hate that saying, but it's a saying for a reason because it is the same old Jets and it doesn't matter who's the GM. It doesn't matter who's the head coach. It doesn't matter who's the quarterback. This franchise is snake bitten by just ineptitude and incompetence. So they don't get anything back for Le'Veon Bell. They just tell him to go away. And, you know, the Jets are, once again, the laughingstock of the NFL.
1: Yeah, so the best part about all this is that Jets fans already came into the season thinking they were going to be pretty good. Maybe not playoff contenders, but we're pretty good. They get through five weeks. They're all in 5 They suck. Absolutely suck. Then you, you ran into our – we traded Adams – so that already kind of brought them back to down to earth and be like, all right, well now what are we doing? Now you release Bell. And the, the best part about this is, is that it's complete, complete uh uh it's a, it's completely a loss for them, besides the fact that you just traded Bell, but you already paid him all the money. So why did you release him? You you could have just held on to him and then try to shop him in the off season. So it seemed like a very again, Adam Gase move. Death taxes. Adam Gase running his best players out of out of town. That's just what he does. And it seems like, for some reason, like I know Douglas is trying to construct his team how he wants and stuff like that. But you literally just released a guy who's still really good, and you released a guy who you already paid. So it seemed like they were just trying to get rid of him. And then I know the excuse that some Jets fans have told me is that, oh, well, we want to get Lamichael Pirine and these other younger guys some touches. Uh, I hate to break it to you, but Frank Gore, who's like 80 years old, is your premier back right now. And it, it really kind of worries me if I was a Jets fan, not that I give two shits about them, but you have, Adam, uh, you have Adam Gase lasting longer with the Jets than Jamal Adams and Le'Veon Bell. Now, that to me is very concerning because all these moves are being made and Adam Gase is still the coach. So my question to you is, do you think Douglas – thinks that gase is the coach for this job
0: uh i, I he, they have a great relationship i mean adam gase is the one that brought him over after mccagnon got fired so they have a great relationship so i don't know if douglas thinks he owes gase like his loyalty and keeping him around but as you said this seems this seems to be a pattern with adam gase i mean jay Ajay is out the door when he was in miami um, Jarvis Landry is out the door is out the door all Drake, all these guys out the door in Miami, comes to the Jets, same thing. Um, Adams out the door, Bell out the door, Robbie Anderson at the door. So, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but this guy always is the one that survives. Like, it doesn't make sense to me because he is the common denominator of all this bullshit that's going around with not just one organization, but two over the last three or four years. So now, the one, you know, last man standing in the Jets organization between him and Gase is Sam Darnold, the quarterback. Now, if I'm Sam Darnold and I see what happened today with Le'Veon Bell, I'm like, I'm out of town. Because they're not going to let go of Le'Veon Bell and leave Sam Darnold with this skeleton offense if they have any faith in him. So I think what this move does, not only does it get rid of an unhappy player, but it kind of you know gives away an option for this young quarterback to play with. So this tells me that an organizational decision, if it comes down to it, I don't know if I'm being a little too radical here, is that Adam Gase will survive Darnold as well. And then it'll start over with Trevor Lawrence and Gase will continue to be the head coach. I I hope that's not the case because, you know, it's sad that this this organization's hit like a rock bottom. Like if you can believe it with this organization, like this has to be rock bottom for that. But for Mm -hmm. whatever reason, this guy has a way of talking people out of firing him. And he has a way, you know, a a tremendous ability to deflect blame away from him and to the talent and to the players. So if you ask me what my main takeaway from this Le'Veon Bell release, I'm saying that Darnold's more of a goner or more likely to be a goner than Gase is. I don't know if I'm being too
1: overdramatic. No, no. I I definitely... Uh, I am agreeing with you, and I saw another report that they're trying to shop Jameson Crowder too. So you already have a depleted wide receiver room, and now you have a run game that is non existent. You have a bad offensive line. Uh, I, I joked with, with Eddie about I was like, you're going to have to pick up Vince Papali off the streets of Philly and get his ass back and play in a Jets uniform. It just, it, and honestly, if I'm Stan Darnold, why the hell do I even want to play? What is there to gain that. for him? I, I, if I'm him I, or if I'm even the Jets, I'm just saying, all right, we're going to just – we're going to sit here. We're going to go with Flacco. We're going to go 0-16 or 1-15, whatever it is. But just like the the risk-reward, I think, for Darnold is just not there. Like He's going to have to get to a point where he's to have to make a business decision. I know he's still on his rookie deal, but I don't think New York is going to be the place for him to prove himself worthy. It, it really just – I don't – I get the Jets are in a – it seems like a forced rebuild like you, you had you thought they're a quarterback and now you still have cj mosley who's signed to big money he hasn't he played his first year but he got hurt and then he's sitting at this year because of covid he's another guy he's probably going to get shot. because why if you're going through this rebuild like the jets seem to be doing why are you going to want to hold on to anybody who has big cap uh hit implications so again i, I really just don't know what the hell they're doing mainly keeping gates like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And, like, the average fan who wants to go 0 in 16 is, like, oh, keep Gase because we want to lose, get the number one pick. But if you're the GM of the Jets, you, you can't try to lose games because players will see through that, and then you lose the locker room, and then everything got, uh, goes to shit. So once you kind of lose that locker room and Gase loses all of that respect, how, how, how are you going to attract free agents? And that's, that's the biggest thing, too, that I wanted to get into as well is when the Dolphins and I was – Last year, I was the biggest fan of going 0-16, locking up that number one pick. Something I I didn't think about was attracting free agents because you could have all the draft picks in the world, but you can't have a team full of 50 rookies. They're not going to play well. It's just a fact. Mm -hmm. So you need to get those veteran guys and and, uh, some, preferably some big-name guys there. But if you're uh, an 0-16 team and you're a laughingstock of the league with a shitty head coach in Adam Gase, who is going to New York? Uh, and that, that's my biggest thing like if you're a free agent like why would you go to New York
0: yeah we talked about this yesterday in terms of Trevor mm-hmm. Lawrence like if you're the first overall pick if they're the first overall pick and Lawrence is sitting there he's like why sh- I should just go back to school or refuse to sign um I I don't know what you do if you're Sam Darnold in this situation because once you get healthy you're out there with a team that's just going to get you killed and not only killed like physically like because they can't protect him and he has no one to throw to. So he's just going to get destroyed by the defensive line. He's going to get killed in terms of his value to another organization because there's, no, there's he's set up to fail. There's no way he can succeed with the New York Jets. So I don't know if he has this kind of leverage as a third-year quarterback that's still on a rookie deal that really hasn't accomplished much. But don't you walk in there if you're Sam Darnold to demand a trade you demand a trade to the Cowboys or demand a trade to someone and say, I'm not playing with this roster. This is going this is detrimental to my career. Um, it, it makes absolutely no sense what they're doing. If you're going to fire all the, if you're going to get rid of all these players, you might as well just get rid a case. Should, he should have been gone yeah. after the Bronco game. He should have been mm-hmm. gone, you know, on Monday after the Cardinals game. There's no reason for him to still be here. If he's still here now, after all that's happened in the first five weeks of the season, how awful they've been. They're literally last in every major statistical category in the sport. There's mm-hmm. no reason why he's still here. The only reason that he's still here is because for whatever reason, Douglas believes in him. And Douglas yeah. believes that he can rebuild this with gaze from scratch. Because remember, Sam Donald's not Douglas's guy. He's a McCann mm-hmm. guy. So – this could be their master plan that we're going to bottom out. And then we're going to trade Darnold and we're going to bring Lawrence in and Douglas and Gase are going to build this right back up. That's not good because it's not going to work because Gase has proven time and time and time again, that he's horrible. And he should not have a job as a head coach in the NFL. So if I'm Sam Darnold, I know I'm a kid. I know I'm 24. I know I haven't improved much, but I'm walking into the office and I'm saying, release me because somebody's going to take him yeah and and he needs to the, he needs to leave while he still has any value left he still has value now but 10 weeks from now he might not so this is a crossroads in his career in my
1: opinion so uh to, 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 to dissect now value and his value specifically so his value still rests with him because he is on his rookie deal he's only on his third year so you got another fourth year and you could pick up the option so that's a plus for him and for the Jets as far as getting compensation back. But it, it, agreed, it, it's one of those situations where if I'm the Jets, and and, and again, we, we both are in agreement that they seem to not really trust Donald to be the guy because, again, you're in his third year and you're doing nothing to make him better. You're doing nothing. That's just a fact. You can't – you draft him Beckton, Congratulations. That's one good lineman out, out, of, out of five. So – and you're also putting – no wide receivers around him. So you're doing nothing to get him better. So I would foresee almost potentially the Jets, they play Darnold these next two weeks, and they pray to God that he balls out. Pray to God he balls out, and then you trade him right before the deadline. Because there's only, what, two, two or maybe three weeks till the deadline anyway? I think it's only two. So but that's contradictory because you're praying for him to ball out, but you just got rid of his best target. And, and that that it's it's they're, that's what I mean. They're in such again. This is awesome as a Dolphin fan to see. Is they're in such a weird situation because then to, to play devil's advocate against my own point, if he balls out in these next two weeks and uh he he get, has a lot of value in the trade, well then why not keep him? So you see what I'm getting? So like they don't know what to do. I don't know if there is there doesn't seem to be a right thing to do. It seems that they're they're damned if they do, damned if they don't with him. Like I don't think they have any idea what they're doing. Again, everybody loves this Douglas guy. Oh, we got draft picks, we got cap and shit like that. Yeah, that's awesome. But you have a complete debacle as the head coach. And if you have a bad head coach, you're going nowhere. Mm-hmm. That that there's there's no way a team if they're perfectly constructed, if you give them a bad head coach, they're not winning. That's that, that's the fact I will not be be proven wrong about that. I just I, I cannot yeah. imagine a team doing anything, even making the playoffs with a bad head coach.
0: When it comes down to, and we, I've had this conversation with um, other friends, and we had more about the Giants in terms of their culture and whether or not the Giants have a losing culture. And we go back and forth on whether that's true or not. Mm-hmm. One thing you can argue is that the Jets have a losing culture. And it's been a losing culture long before even Gase was there. But you have to go back mm-hmm. to Rex Ryan 10 years ago when this team had any you know, potential to be successful at all. So that's why, and what you just said, the damned if you do, damned if you don't with Donald in terms of the Jets. That's why if you're Donald, you know more than we know. I mean, we know that the Jets have no idea what the, they're doing. Other yeah. teams in the league know that the Jets have mm-hmm. no idea what they're doing. Um, other, you know, every everyone that has anything to do with football knows that the Jets have no idea what they're doing. So that means that Donald definitely... As the quarterback of the team knows that that the organization is just clueless in what they're doing. So if you're Sam Darnold, you can't wait the next two weeks to say, hey, I'm just going to ball out and see what happens because then you have no idea. You don't dictate your own future. So if I'm Darnold and I see this news, I'm marching in. I'm saying, get me out of here. I'm going to my agent. I'm saying, get me out of here because the longer I'm here, the more toxic as a quarterback I become and it's not it's not my fault. I didn't do anything mm-hmm. wrong. I I didn't mm-hmm. pick to play for the Jets. So if you're Donald and you look at your wide receiving core next week and you look at your running back core and you look at your offensive line and you look at your head coach and you look at your defense and you look at the fact that this team's most likely going to get the first overall pick and you look at the first overall pick is probably going to be Trevor Lawrence. What what kind of confidence do you have for your future in the league? You have none. Yeah, you have to force that's, your that's, way out of town right now.
1: Yeah, and, and good good segue there. We're both in agreement that he, he needs to get out of New York if by any means possible. Now, I was thinking – I wrote down, like I was talking earlier to Coach Poppy about this, and I was saying potential landing spots for Sam Darnold, and I was just thinking about teams that kind of either have an older vet, and maybe that are willing to to trade for him, again, you probably, you're probably you not going to get a first. And I, I don't even know if you get a second, to be honest, with, with where Dawn's value. So, so let's just say uh, a third, maybe even a fourth, whatever it may be. But you look at a team like the Colts, who are who are doing well, but mm-hmm. Rivers is not their guy. And He's I know old. they drafted they, – that's what yeah. I mean. I know they drafted Easton in, in, in the fourth round, but I think that would be a perfect fit Then. I, you, you flirt with even maybe the 49ers want to take a feel on him, same way they did with Jimmy G. Jimmy G's kind of banged up right now and hasn't really done that well. And I think the biggest potential landing spot for him, which would be awesome, would be the Steelers. Big Ben is doing well, yes, no doubt, but they have no successor behind him. And they're about to enter into cap hell next mm-hmm. year because Big Ben's supposed to get like 30 something million dollars. And they have a team right now that's set up to win and, and set up to win for a long time with Bud Dupree, T.J. Watt, obviously Chase Claypool, and you got Judas smith Schuster there, and you have James Conner. So you have the pieces to win now, but I don't know if Big Ben is going to give you more than say two years. And then if I'm the Steelers, I, I, I'm i just I'm not committing thirty million dollars to Big Ben for the next two years when I could say trade a draft pick and then you have Sam Darnold uh, on payroll for what like maybe eight mil, whatever his rookie contract is. And you give him a nice two-year tryout and you see because the Steelers aren't going to have a top draft pick anyway. So I think their best bet is, is going after Sam Darnold maybe right now.
0: I think you're absolutely right. I think those three teams that you mentioned are good points because they're, they need quarterbacks in the future, but they're not going to have a high enough draft pick to get, you know, a Justin Fields or a um, – Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence. I think a team that you left out, and it's only now a possibility because of what happened against the Giants on Sunday with the injury to Dak Prescott, I think the Cowboys are a very interesting team here because not only do they lose their quarterback, there's a a couple of variables here with the Cowboys that make it very interesting. One, Dak out for the year, obviously. Two, in terms of Dak future, he was playing on the franchise tag for like $30 million. So they were going to make a decision on him either way next year. So now with the injury to Dak Prescott, and, you know, obviously prayers go to Dak, hopefully he comes back. It was just horrible yes, yes. seeing mm-hmm. what happened yesterday. But from a business standpoint, you know, Jerry Jones is never going to, you know, say his hand here. But mm-hmm. is it responsible now for the Cowboys to give Dak that mega deal when his ankle, when his foot just completely got decapitated or chopped off? Is that a good idea as a from a business standpoint for the Cowboys? Would it be better? in terms of financially, to, you know, take a flyer on Sam Darnold now, see what he has the next two years if Dak doesn't fully recover, and then now you have another quarterback on the cheap. Also, they're still in this division this year. So mm-hmm. they need to, they need to decide fairly quickly whether or not Andy Dalton can, you know, beat the Eagles and hold off the Eagles and win the division and make a run into – into January, into the playoffs. Now, who does, who does Dallas think is better equipped to do that? An older Andy Dalton, who was, you know, run out of Cincinnati, or do they bring in Sam Darnold and roll the dice? Now, it's complicated because he has to learn the playbook. He has to learn all his yeah. positions. He's going to be learning on the fly if this hypothetically happens. But if you asked me who I'd rather have, Dalton or Darnold, I would take Darnold. So I think yeah. the Cowboys and the Jets should get on the phone with each other and try to work something out because the Cowboys have a division to win still. And I think Darnold mm-hmm. can help them with that. And then I think Darnold can be benefit for his career going to a team with like the Cowboys that have, you know, a good offensive line and weapons. And then the Jets can get out from under that and they can focus on Trevor Lawrence. I think that's a match made in heaven, in my opinion. I don't think it's going to happen, but mm-hmm. it's, it's something that could work.
1: Yeah, uh, I definitely that, – that that thought definitely was in my mind too. I, I I think Andy Dalton could be good enough to still win you that division. However, going uh, with Dak and everything like that, with the contract and his ankle, he might be out all of next year too. Mm-hmm. So that would be – say that was the case and he's out all of next year too, that would be even more of a reason to say, hey, I want to get Sam Darnold for two years because you get him for his last year of his deal – I mean this year – the next year, and then you pick up his his option. And I also think that they're an offense where they have a great offensive line ready. They have probably the best wide receiver core in the national in National Football League. So it's kind of one of those things where it, you you would you could ease him into it by not knowing the playbook just because he has a good team. Mm-hmm. So it, it wouldn't be I don't think it would be too hard of a transition. And also you have to remember this guy's on on his what third offense anyway yeah offense whatever so it's like listen what basically what's another one at this point point? Mm-hmm. that's what i mean so it, it's it, it, and i also trust mike mccarthy to if he needed to ease him into it and you trust andy dalton being a good veteran leader to help him out and show him the ropes along the way because again sam dardo never had that and that kind of goes into the whole thing that that everybody likes to discuss about all right is it better to sit under a veteran and learn or is it better to just kind of get thrown into the fire right away and i think Dallas could be a situation where he got thrown to the fire. He learned from his experience, and now I think you give him half a season, whatever it may be, or even less, or even just practice. You could say to learn from a vet and a good yeah. football mind. Because again, Andy Dalton is no uh, slump by any means. So it, it would be very interesting, interesting to see how that all unfolds. And again, obviously, it is in lieu of the Dak injury, which sucks, but. Like you said, it is a business. They need to figure out, all right, do we want to pay this guy who just had his the bone in his ankle come out of his skin, and do we want to give him $35, $40 million? So, it, it sucks. So, of course, yeah,
0: obviously, it's horrible for Dak. And, you know, it reminded me – it's not the same exact injury, obviously, but it reminded me, like, in terms of timing with, like, Teddy Bridgewater, what happened with mm-hmm. him. remember him mm-hmm. on the Vikings, led them to the playoffs, had a very good future, hurt. Himself missed a year and a half, and then the Vikings had to keep going. They had to move on, yeah. and then the sure spot on. wasn't there when he got back. So here's the Cowboys' schedule moving forward. They play the Cardinals on Sunday. Then they play Washington. I'm not going to make that mistake this week. I'll call them Washington. I promise. <laughs> Washington. <you that. laughs> Just Washington. Then they play Philadelphia, and then the Steelers, and then the bye. So they have four games until their bye week. So mm-hmm. let's say the trade deadline's when week eight.
1: Yeah, pretty sure. It. It's it's, yeah. It's, it's probably in week. eight. It's pretty sure even week seven. It's two or three weeks. It's definitely not week nine.
0: So let's say for the sake of argument, the mm-hmm. Cowboys acquire Donald within the next you know seven to fourteen days. The one, next one or two weeks, they get him. Mm-hmm. So he gets there in week seven for the Washington football team game. So then he sits behind Dalton for Washington, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh, and then he has the bye week, and then. That might be enough time for him to allocate enough knowledge of the playbook to be ready for the game week eleven against Minnesota, again at the Vikings. So, yeah. if they're going to do it, they're going to have to move quickly. But, you know, if you sit him down, and you you know put him in the quarterback room and you have him study for four weeks straight, he might be ready to compete by week eleven for the second half of the season for the playoff push. So. Darnold definitely has the talent to make that work and as you always say how much you love competition you think it brings out the best of everyone there's no backup quarterback behind Dalton anyway so if Dalton's going to be the guy the rest of the season it might be beneficial to you know a slide in Darnold as the quarterback too to kind of push Darnold to play his best So I don't think it's. I don't think there's a bad reason for the Cowboys to do this. I don't think there's a negative standpoint because yeah, I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they have to give up a lot. I don't think they're gonna have to give up
1: a first to third round pick. And even even if you do give up a, a third round pick, wouldn't you argue that two years of Sam Darnold is worth more than four of uh, whoever you get in the third round? I'd say yeah. historically speaking, you would take that bet any chance. You could even argue that it wouldn't make sense for a second. Who knows? And also, I, Obviously. So, and also, let's, let's be honest here. I mean, we're going to, of
0: course, pray that Dak's fine. And he was having a good year up until his injury. But they mm-hmm. weren't sold on him. And if they were, they would have signed him. And they never did. So, this might be the opening for the Cowboys to just say to their fans, hey, you know, this is a really bad injury. But – we're going to bring in a kid and we're going to see how he is. Some guy see that he was picked second overall in the, or third overall in the draft a couple years ago. Mm. So I think it could be an easier sell to the fan base rather than letting Dak walk and then bring in a new guy.
1: Listen, you, you, win uh, an NFC East division. I think the fans are and again, not to dismiss Dak, but I think the fans are going to be happy with, with where they're at. That, that's the bottom line. If you win games, it doesn't matter who's that quarterback or, or who's at any position for that matter. If you win games, you win a division, and you show up, like I'm sure Sam Darnold would do for that team when it when it matters, I think they'll, they'll find a way to be happy with, with their situation.
0: Yeah, and of course, like, we can't say it enough. Like, it sucks what happens to Dak. Of course, it's unfortunate. But as you said, the show goes on. Nobody's going to feel sorry for the Cowboys. In fact, you know, there's certain people that would be like, great, the Cowboys are done this year. So, yeah, you know, Jerry Jones, you know, that's, you know, Jerry Jones is going to do whatever he takes to win. They haven't won since 1996. Um, mm-hmm. They're never going to punt on a season. Mm-hmm. And is Andy Dalton a guy that's going to, They, I mean, they can win the division with Andy Dalton because the division is terrible. But, but furthermore, but yeah. Furthermore, I trust a Sam Darnold talent more than a Dalton talent because Dalton's not on the Bengals anymore for a reason.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, the more we talk about it, the more I think like it makes perfect sense. Like I would be excited to see what Darnold could do with that cowboys team mm-hmm. and again just, just just i keep thinking about the dak injury and i'm just like like is he going to be like you you put a year timetable on his injury i feel like it's got to be longer unless he's got like the best surgeons they in the said world. four
0: to six months but matt his ankle was the complete opposite direction than it normally I should be
1: and and it, it's and then it, it, you run into one of those things all right, four to six months to what to, to play football again and possibly experience to just injury. work out maybe. That's what I mean. So it, I would put again, I would almost say that you're not going to see Dak until maybe midway through next year, if at all next year. So that's another thing. The the Cowboys you you can't afford to just punt again half the season. All right, Dak's going to come in halfway through and, and win us the division, or and then win us the playoff. Like you you don't have time to waste with that. So it's like all right, it's one thing to. Give Dalton this year because he was the backup, but next year they're gonna need to have a little bit of a contingency plan in place to to figure out how to succeed because the NFC East is always up for grabs and it seems like it it could almost be theirs to lose. So you're gonna have to figure out something to do. And I think trading for Sam Darnold is a very low risk, high reward move.
0: Let's uh, move on to the game that just finished: the Bills and the Titans. The Titans absolutely destroyed the Bills. Your guy. Ryan Tannehill, the goat, and Derek Henry and Vrabel and all those guys in Tennessee, very quietly, four and zero. They don't get a lot of attention because you know they're not the Chiefs, they're not the Ravens. You know they don't have that real sexy quarterback that everyone falls in love with. But they get the job done. Derek Henry, the one of the. I didn't watch much of the game because I was focused on the baseball. But I mm-hmm. just saw one play. Derek Henry completely just threw a defender. I'd say Norman, right? They yeah, f- Josh throw. Norman josh norman away like he was like it, like it was insulting that norman even tried to tackle him um yeah. how undervalued are the titans
1: not or I think,
0: yeah, are I, they kind or are they more of a pretender
1: no and we i think we ended the the podcast last time last week's episode saying are they contenders i said 100 percent contenders i mean their their plan and their their team is, is again not foolproof because it's obviously hard to construct a roster but it produces winning games. And I don't think with their offense and how they eat up clock and how they just run it down your throat, I don't think like a team could really go up on them by 14, 21 points. Like it's just, they're always going to be within one score, maybe 10 points. And then it's like, they get a lead. They're just going to grind it out. And that's that's one of those things that you don't really see in the stat book as much. But hey, just because they don't score on a drive, they might grind out like eight minutes just because they're just running it down your throat. So it really just – all, all things are clicking right now in, in, in Tennessee. And I think if we're not going to give them respect for them beating the Ravens and Patriots last year, then we got to give them some respect right now because they are 4-0, and there really are no holes in their game. And, and it's awesome to see this kind of new team come out of the AFC instead of only talking about the Ravens and the Chiefs. And you say, hey, there's a serious, serious contender in Tennessee.
0: Yeah, and you, you talk about Ryan Tannehill. He doesn't do anything overly impressive on the football field. 21 for 28, only 195 yards, but he had three touchdown passes. Uh, He's a guy – And he ran one in. And he ran one in. I'm not going to call him a game manager because sometimes I feel like the term game manager is more of an insult than anything else. So I wouldn't call him that. But he's a solid quarterback. Like he's not, you know, a star quarterback. He's not a guy that you're going to pick in your fantasy league. But, you know, he, he as you said, gets the job done, grinds it out. And sometimes that's all you need.
1: Yeah, and it's – again, it's like we always talk about. You love having those guys that can do the craziest things. But it's not really that – and this is where I think is a really good point. is It's not that Tannehill can't. It's that just the game plan – just uses his strengths like they're they don't want him to they don't want him throwing the ball 55 times and i think that's what you saw with josh allen that yes he's been really really good but they kind of uh they they got off of what got them to to their success and that was the play action that was the running that was the, the kind of easier just, hey, run a slant, let me hit you in stride and give it to my playmakers, that I think they kind of asked almost too much of Josh Allen today. And it's going back to Tannehill, again, you say, hey, you're going to throw the ball sub-30 times in, in a day. Just focus on making 20 of those throws. That, that's basically it. And a lot of them are just play action because everybody's honing in on the run because of Derrick Henry, obviously, and you're usually going to get a guy in, in single coverage. So I think it's again, it's the, the the system for him and what they're asking him to do and they're using his strengths to the best of his ability. If you ask him to throw the ball 60 times, he's not gonna be good. And I think that that's, that's the case with a lot of guys is that you see that, all right, they could throw the ball a mile, they got really good, actually all this stuff. All right, but then you ask them to do too much, then obviously their efficiency kind of comes down in a way. So I think Tennessee and their coaching staff and Brable and everybody, has really constructed the perfect team, and they're coaching them perfectly as well. Now, do you
0: think that at the end of the day, when we get to January, February, that the fact that Tannehill is not a guy that's going to like lead your team down the field, throw the ball 45, 50 times, do you think that's Achilles' heel when it comes to the playoffs? Because when it comes to the playoffs, you're going to need your quarterback to make great throws. And if you're going to go up against a Jackson or a Mahomes or a Roethlisberger, you need your quarterback to to step up and match them pass for pass. Now that's where it gets tricky for the tie ends. And I think that's why sometimes we overlook them because they don't have that quarterback, but Tannehill in a regular season can get the job done, but it's yet to be determined Despite only, mainly because of what we saw last year when they had a lead against the chiefs and couldn't keep up when they mounted mm-hmm. their comeback. Do you trust Tannehill two minute drill in the freezing cold of January to get something done, that's something he's going to have to prove if the Titans want to go into the upper echelon of the AFC
1: and get the respect from the mainstream media that they probably deserve. And my answer to that is 100% yes, I do trust him because you look at him and obviously his, his time in Miami, was it was seven years. So we saw a good sample size. Back end of his career, he, he was leading the league one time in fourth quarter comebacks. And I think you saw that too last year. Again, he didn't start the year, but when he was in, he was awesome, and he had a lot of fourth quarter comebacks. So the issue is, it's can they score quick like a like a Seahawks or, or like a Packers, and that obviously we don't really know. But that's what I mean. I don't. I wouldn't say necessarily that he can't do it. It's just that he really hasn't really been asked to do it. I guess you could say. And I still trust him that he could. And it's just like with having Derrick Henry in a two minute drill where everyone's obviously like, oh, we have to pass, we have to pass. Derrick Henry's going to get you 10 yards in in 10 seconds. Like, you could still run the ball because he's that good. But, again, obviously the verdict may still be out, but I would take my chances with him in a nice two-minute drill to lead my team to victory. Um, Switching sidelines to the Bills in this game,
0: Allen probably his worst game of the year, 26 for 41, 263 yards, two (laughs) touchdowns, two interceptions. Um, Tennessee came in with a good defensive game plan. You just you chalk it up as to, and you're not going to be perfect every game. I mean, the Chiefs lost to the Raiders, and Mahomes wasn't fantastic. Uh, Allen's proven enough to me the first five weeks of the season that this is more of a blip on the radar screen than a step back. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd still mm-hmm. be confident with Allen as my quarterback. Just one of those days where you're on the road. It's a weird week because you're playing on a Tuesday because of all everything yeah. that's going on in the world with the COVID. So I guess in my opinion, I just chalk it up to a you know just a
1: a uh, game and you move on to yeah. next week. Yeah. It, it, it's it's a little bit of humble pie and it's going to find everybody in all sports. Everybody's seen it. We've experienced it ourselves playing baseball that it's going to find you and you're not always going to be perfect. But now the biggest thing I think is you see, they play the chiefs next week. I'm like 99% sure. All right. Now do we, again, do we say, all right, it was just an ad game or does this kind of become a trend against better teams? So that's where it's really interesting to see for the Bills, how do they rebound? Because I think you saw a lot of, uh, Rabel made a lot of good defensive adjustments kind of in the second quarter and then second half specifically. Because the first quarter, Allen was putting on a clinic. He had so much time to throw. He was throwing dimes left and right, escaping the pocket. And then whatever happened, whatever they did, they were getting a little more pressure. I think they were playing a little more zone scheme and disguising coverages a little bit. And I think that kind of rattled Allen just slightly. Again, not to, I'm not knocking completely. I still think he's great. He's still an MVP candidate. But you definitely saw him struggle for the first time this year. So I think it's going to be really in- interesting to see, all right, how does he bounce back and how does the team as a whole bounce back? Because we also can't forget that Tennessee scored 40-plus points. So it ain't all just on the offense. The defense didn't do them any favors as well. And they're supposed to have this great, insane defense. And – you let it forty points, like we said before, to a team that doesn't really score quickly. So it, I'm very excited to see how they stack up against the Chiefs, and I would kind of predict right now that they they may they may get beat up a little bit again. And they're, they're Patrick Mahomes figure-
0: is not going to lose two times in a row, and he's not going to have two me. bad games in a row. I mean, it's it, I'd be a little nervous if I was Buffalo's defense because losing at the Chiefs losing at home to the Raiders. You know, Mahomes has one of those Michael Jordan personalities. where well, that's not going to happen a second time. Like, he's that yeah. good. So, it might be a game where you're right, you know, Buffalo just might take another one on the chin. But yeah. I think, if anything, I think you're looking for a bounce-back performance from Allen more than you're looking yeah. for a win against Kansas City. And I think yeah, even, if, even if Buffalo won this game against um, the Titans, I think it's the same kind of thing because, you know, the Chiefs are that good. So it's kind of a rough patch yeah. in the schedule for um, Buffalo.
1: Yeah, and, and it, it's it's one of those things where if you're a Bills fan, you're excited for these games because you, you want to see how does your team stack up against these other teams, these other good playoff contending teams. It's always fun, obviously, to beat up on the bad teams. That's awesome. Good teams got to beat up on bad teams. But how are you going to do against these playoff contending teams? And obviously, step one, this game, wasn't really the greatest showing. Now how do we see it, how they rebound?
0: Interesting to see next week. Moving on to the game that's over your shoulder right now, the yep. Saints and the Chargers. Uh, Saints and Chargers, yeah. So yeah. the Saints squeak this one out. Um, kind of fortunate. Got a missed field goal at the end of regulation. Breeze, again, yeah. not great. Herbert was, but at the end of the day, it was the veteran in Breeze that made some throws in overtime and got the Saints the win. Um Chargers moved to 1-4, and but it's not really about winning this year for the Chargers. It's about seeing what this kid has. And right now, through five weeks, you have to be very impressed with what you've seen from the former Oregon Duck. He's been really good. You you weren't high on him when we first started this podcast, but
1: Mm -hmm.
0: he's proven everyone wrong. It was supposed to be Tyrod Taylor, but Tyrod Taylor's not the starter anymore. It's Justin Herbert.
1: Yeah, so with with Herbert and again – I wasn't high on him. And then the reason I, I wasn't high on him was because basically the the system that he was in, and then he did have a lot of inaccuracy issues and stuff like that. And then I guess it's just a uh, uh, paralysis by analysis, say, because I could, I didn't see him do what he's doing with the charters. And that's very interesting to me because him with Oregon was just 25% of his passes were behind the line of scrimmage and rarely did he air out the uh, or space out kind of the field a little bit and air it out. Then he comes to, to uh, L.A. with the Chargers, and they have a complete, air-raid, perfect offense, and it just seems like he's excelling, and it's one of those things that I I almost feel like Oregon's got to be kicking themselves because they didn't have that much team success nationally. They were like, yeah, they may have won uh, the Pac-12, but they never really competed for uh, a national championship, and you see Justin Herbert's success in a totally different system. Maybe they're like, well, shit, like we totally misused him. And it really is interesting to see, and honestly, with, with a lot of guys in college, how they're being used and stuff like that. And I wanted to, to bring up a question to you because, like I was just saying before, he obviously was doing a lot of dink and dunk, stuff like that, which isn't very attractive to scouts, obviously. And this is a, a question from Coach Poppy we were texting earlier, and he was saying, if he was in an Oklahoma-style, very sexy, air-raid offense, would he have been – the number one pick, obviously assuming he would be kind of as good as he's as he's doing now. But mainly those visuals of seeing those four hundred and fifty yard, four hundred yard, five touchdown bomb pass games week in and week out?
0: I'm not sure because, you know, he could have been higher pick, but then I look at Daniel Jones and he was the sixth overall pick. He went to Duke. So how much does a college mean or how much do these scouts actually like decipher and forget what system you're in and kind of look at the prospect from their eyes and what they would do for their team um Mm -hmm. of course the notoriety if you went to an oklahoma or an ohio state is much more than if you went to oregon but i think what I, i i might be wrong what i think scared off other teams from a Mariota and kind of made him the drop a little bit in the first round is because, you know, it wasn't so long ago. Another Oregon duck was the first or second overall pick in Mariota yeah. and it didn't work out. So sometimes mm. you are a victim of the university that you're at and the reputation of the quarterbacks that they put out, um, you know, you know, USC, I mean, Liner hasn't worked out. Sanchez didn't work out like sometimes like the college hurts you, but, I don't, I don't know. Maybe if they were more on, like, a southern school, if he was more of at a southeast school, um, he would have been more highly projected. I don't know the answer to that. Um, it's, it, it's an interesting hypothetical, but you're right. If, if if I think more than anything else, more than, like, the university's at, if the system was more throw the ball downfield, I think that would be more um, telling of his draft stock than the school he went to, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and that
1: that's probably what more uh, of what we were kind of trying to say is, is basically you're watching highlight tapes and stuff like that of him just literally just airing it out, doing what he's doing with the Chargers right now. Like imagine seeing that and say, imagine you're a GM and you see that versus just, all right, let me call Hike and then a quarter of the time I'm going to throw it to the sideline so they can do a little uh, screen pass. So I think just visually, and that's the thing, we can look at analytics all we want, but we're still people and we have emotional decisions. I would take that bomb pass more than just all right, throw it to this to the side and then just kind of run. Like that doesn't that doesn't I don't think do anything. So I think it, it was really interesting when he kind of brought that up because we didn't see much of what he's doing, if any at all, what he's doing now with the Chargers at Oregon. So we didn't even really know who Justin Herbert was. And it, it's yeah. almost like like or not that being the sixth overall pick is, is a disservice to him, but in a way, like he could have potentially been number one. Who knows?
0: Yeah, and I think it really speaks to how good or bad a rookie quarterback can be. You never really know until you throw them out there. I mean, college football and the NFL are two completely different animals. Like, it's it's really not the same game. As much as it looks like the same game, it's not. Um, so you never really know what you have until you throw them on on the field and see what they have to do. And I think Herbert is proving kind of my – philosophy if you have the quarterback and you drafted them first overall
1: the sooner you get them out there the better well my slight rebuttal to that is wouldn't you say their offense though with the weapons they have in mike williams fair. and and it is a lot better than other teams like it's almost yeah, funny fair. it's like how how were the chargers even the sixth overall pick like you look at their team so and that's where, where i think you're seeing where I, like, I don't think Burrow, I mean, uh, I don't think uh, Herbert would do what he's doing now if he was on the Bengals. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it's, it's such a shitty thing. Right. Obviously, the, these players can't really control where they go, but it's like, if. It, it, and it, you can't say fr- that
0: Herbert's better than Burrow. That's not fair. So, yeah. I mean, that,
1: yeah. Uh, that's what I mean. So it, it's it's such a shitty thing because, like, yeah, you can look at Burrow and be like, oh, his stats suck, this sucks, that sucks, and Herbert's the greatest thing ever. But it's like, you got to look where, look where he's at. Like, they're a 1-in-4 team, but they, they got to be the best 1-in-4 team in the history of football right now. So, again, it's just you you can't fault, I don't think, either guy. Like, I can't say Herbert's bad or not actually that good because he's in a good system. No, he's, he's very fortunate too. And I can't really fault, same thing with Sam Darnold and even even Daniel Jones, you could say. You can't fault them for really being bad in a bad system. You got to mm-hmm. give them some sort of chance. And I know it sucks because... Not everybody even gets a, a glimmer of hope, or even half as good as a team as some of these other rookie quarterbacks are fortunate enough to get. But you have to just just see something, and, that, and that's the thing. I, especially with, with going back to Darnold, you're just you're not seeing any help from his front office, and it's awesome that Justin Herbert did fall into a situation where he can excel. Because again, you you look at the Chargers right now; they should have beat the Chiefs. They they should have beaten the Saints there too. So it's like they easily could be a, a, a 500 team or, or three and two, whatever it is.
0: Yeah. I It's definitely goes from organization to organization. If you feel like they have the weapons and they're healthy and they're going to be fine the sooner or better, but yeah, you can't blame Jones or Darnold for being in a bad system. That's not fair to them. Mm-hmm. And you can't blame Burrow because he's, he was on a t- He's picked for a team that was first overall and they're first overall for a reason. So definitely the same thing. So segueing to another former first overall pick and a team that's really turned the corner, it looks like, are the Cleveland Browns. I can't believe I'm saying it because, you know, for the better part of our lives, they've Mm. been the laughingstock. They have been what the Jets are now. So the Browns are four and one. They beat the Colts 32 to 23. Mayfield goes 21 for 37. Two touchdowns, two picks. Um, Kareem Hunt, 72 yards rushing. Landry had four for 88. Odell, five for 58. Are we believing in the Browns, or do we need to see more?
1: I definitely need to see a little bit more. Again, you, more so from Mayfield. If he could just cut back on those turnovers, I think you're going to start seeing some more blowouts because whenever Chubb does get back, and even with just Kareem Hunt now, they have an awesome run game, and those running backs are great receivers as well. So they're awesome there. Obviously, wide receiver, you can't ask for anything more. So, And the old line seems to be doing their job. And defensively with Miles Garrett, they seem to be getting after the quarterback a little bit. But I definitely want to see a little bit more. I de- I was very impressed though with their offensive su- success against a good Colts defense.
0: Yeah, and you were waiting for this to happen. Like eventually, it was put up or shut to. up for put. It, eventually, it was put up or shut up from Baker Mayfield, and you know mm-hmm. he has a million commercials, and he's this loud, outspoken guy, and he fights yeah. with Colin Coward. And eventually, you need to play well, and the first two years are rough. They had Freddie Kitchens as their coach, and he obviously sucked as the head coach of the Browns. They bring in uh, Stefanski, and he really, you know, changed the culture of the Cleveland Browns, which is not an easy thing to do because we all know Mm -hmm. that famous kind of mannequin with all those quarterback names taped. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. They have that thing. So it's a perennial losing team and a losing culture, and it really looks like they've turned the corner really – against all odds because you have a Mayfield and then you throw in a Beckham and a Landry and you get all these different, you know, alpha guys in the locker room together. And this team's four and one. And this was a recipe for disaster if, you know, things went the other way and it could have been really ugly. So you got to give credit to Stefanski really having his guys buy into his system and believe in what he's preaching and it's really showed and the browns are knocking on the door for their first playoff appearance in you know a thousand years.
1: Yeah, uh, again, I yeah, agree before I do still need to see more but you have to be encouraged of what you're seeing like like finally with all of these pieces and all these weapons and a new coach like right, all right, like it's actually starting to come to fruition. And as a fan and even as a player, you got to be like, very excited because like, I a slight sigh of relief we're actually winning games. No one's hitting the panic button anymore. Now Let's go win some games against the Ravens and, and let's go compete for, hey, maybe we compete for division right now. Because, I mean, statistically, you start the season four and one, I'm sure your odds of winning the division are pretty good. I'd, I'd probably say the unfortunate part for them is that the Ravens and the Steelers are also starting off really hot too. But uh, I definitely wouldn't be surprised, I guess you could say, if they keep up what they're doing, if they won the division or at least got in with a the, with the wild card, maybe a nine-win team.
0: Yeah, and of course, this expanded playoffs makes it that much easier for the mm-hmm. Browns. Right now, it's Pittsburgh at 4-0, Baltimore at 4-1, and Cleveland at 4-1. So it's going to be interesting to see if this you know, up-and-coming Cleveland Browns team can hold off those two teams. Because those two teams for the last like decade and a half have been 1-2 and two in that division. And yeah. it, it, they've really had a stranglehold on the division the whole time in that AFC North. Um, we're going to move on
1: to you might... your Dolphins. Oh, oh, here we go. Let me strap in for this. Go ahead. Oh, I was, just, I was just You want Do you want to
0: finish your point before we do it?
1: Yes, 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 yeah, yeah. So I was. You might see all three of those teams get into the playoffs with the extra uh, wild card and playoff spot. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised by that in the slightest if you saw that. Yeah, because
0: <coughs> right now, yeah, they're the only teams with four wins, other than the Bills. The Bills are the only other team with four wins, other than those three. So and then I think we would have two
1: or Titans out two or four and
0: oh oh yes my app didn't update so yeah understand um Dolphins destroyed the Niners put Garoppolo on the bench there's a million different avenues to go with this game in terms of either the Dolphins or the Niners we'll start with your Dolphins first gotta be impressed I don't I don't think you expected this did you
1: no I mean it was like it was weird. Like again, I'm always super pumped. I'm yelling. I'm cursing. I'm screaming every good play, every bad play. And then right from the get go, we stopped them on th- three straight, three straight plays. They went three and out. And I like looked over at my brother. I'm like, that was uh, that was pretty good. And then we literally the first play from scrimmage, we ran it, got five yards, and then we did a bomb like 30, 40 yard pass, and and we completed it. Next thing you know four plays later, not even we scored a touchdown. We go up seven nothing. I'm like. Oh, that was pretty cool. And then we go the next set of downs. The 49ers get to like uh, their own 45, and they go for it on fourth and one, and we make a stop on fourth and one. I cannot tell you the last time the Miami Dolphins have ever made a stop, especially as stopping a running play on a fourth and one, a third and one, or second one, whatever it is. So you saw those two things, and then we scored again on the next drive. We were 14 nothing. I'm like, what in God's name is going on? <laughs> and then we stopped them again. I was like, we stopped in three straight times. I was like, who is this team? Like, I had no idea what was going on. And then I was like, like, are they pretending? What's going on? It's a flu because obviously everyone's due for a big game like that at some point. But then it, they just keep they, – are they kept it up and they kept pounding the rock. And then once you start getting those turnovers and they had – they ended up with five sacks, two interceptions, both on Jimmy G, and they had a, a fumble recovery too. So you factor in all those, you're you're winning the game. You make them turn the ball over three times and you didn't turn it over once. It was just absolutely amazing and as close to a perfect game as the Dolphins could have had against the defending NFC champions. Yeah,
0: I can't believe what happened. Like I didn't watch the game from kickoff to the end of the game, but like I was watching it like on the bottom line of the, yeah. of the games, and I was like, what the hell's going on? Because I know that the Niners were banked up. But they just—I believe they beat the Eagles last week, right? Yeah, yeah. So they, so I was like, oh, okay, they're fine. And the Garoppolo is back. And Garoppolo was fucking terrible. Like he, he was
1: he, horrible.
0: Now, he, is that he, the Dolphins' defense, or is Garoppolo taking him a step back this year?
1: No, I mean that was strictly the Dolphins' defense, and because they were, like I said, they were pressuring him. Granted, he—he he was coming off a high ankle sprain, so obviously I think he was a little gun shy. But. They, were, they put pressure on him, and it kind of the, – the the same thing with Brady always in years past. you put a little pressure in his face, he's, he might make some stupid throws, and that's basically what was doing. Like was a couple throws sailing high there, a couple throws. It was like, where are you throwing the ball right now? And then you just – you put that pressure, and he just feels you a little bit, especially with an ankle injury. You're going to want to get rid of the ball. That's what I mean. They literally sat him at halftime. They put in C.J. Beathard, who obviously is, is not good by any means either, and then you, you tore him apart too. So it, it was definitely you saw basically what the Dolphins defense was supposed to be doing, and what I mean by that was Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. Uh, they haven't been on the same field together until this week. So you finally saw it kind of come to fruition. Actually, granted, week one they were on the field together, but the Patriots just ran the ball the whole time. But week two, like the first play from scrimmage, Byron Jones had a, a groin injury, and he was he's been out since then or whatever. So it was awesome to see them finally play together. And then you saw they were just locking down their guys. I mean, Xavier Howard had uh, another pick, which was awesome. And you allowed the linebackers and the linemen to just kind of hunt the, hunt the quarterback too. And also something that kind of goes, uh, like, not undervalued, but just we don't really talk about enough as, as fans when evaluating defenses, is how important it is to play with a lead. And that's something that your your Giants and my Dolphins and the Jets out there, too, for whoever's listening, they're not fortunate enough to do and play with. you got to understand that when you're playing with a lead, you're up by seven, you're up by 14, that's where you start seeing those sacks and those interceptions because you're letting the dogs loose. You, you could soften up a little bit on the coverage, hey, take the underneath stuff, and you just bring the house, you let the dogs loose, and that's where you start seeing where the defense is excel. And that's kind of part of the thing, too, is when you're evaluating the defense – if they're always playing, or I mean, if their offense is never scoring points and you're always kind of playing from behind, it's like, obviously you're not going to get sacks because if you're playing from behind, you probably, you can't really sack the quarterback. Unless you have to drop another guy maybe into coverage because you can't afford to let up another point. So it, it was just awesome to see Flores' game plan with Chan Gailey uh, on offense and Josh Boyer on defense come to fruition and literally fire on all cylinders.
0: Yeah, and you make a good point about the Giants and the Dolphins, you know, playing with the lead and how that's different. And the Giants played with the lead last week against the Cowboys, and they didn't get it done. Get to that in a second. But I wanted to first we'll, we'll finish the show with the Giants. I want to first get your opinion on with this win for the Dolphins. Does that change your expectations now for the season? Because they have the Jets next week. So let's 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 assume. Knock on wood. That that's a win. Three and three going into the bye. Then you play a Rams team that's hit and miss. Cardinals, Chargers, Broncos, and then back to the Jets. I'm looking at the schedule now. Uh, they have the Chiefs and the Patriots back to back. That's gonna be tough. Yeah, they have, they they could have a fight, tough back fight end. for that. Eight. They have a tough back end, but does it change your, you know, win pro- projections of this team after dominating a game against a team that was in the Super Bowl last year? Say what you want about the injuries now. But this Agreed, is still a yeah. team that you know has a Super Bowl pedigree. Does yeah, that change? Does this win change your you know opinion about the Dolphins?
1: So I, I would say it, it 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 gives me even more encouragement that they could sneak into the playoffs because I think I talked about it in a previous episode about how, like when I looked at their schedule, there was a couple of games that were guaranteed losses, and there were a couple of games that were guaranteed wins. So far, the guaranteed wins I had them two against the Jets and then one against the Jaguars, and I won against the Bengals. All right, you already did that against the Jaguars. But the best part about what I was just saying, I had the Niners going into the season as a guaranteed loss. So now you just stole a win from there. And the other guaranteed losses I had was the Seahawks, the Chiefs, the Bills twice. And then now the biggest thing is, all right, if you could steal another one for maybe those guaranteed wins or those toss-up games, you steal more than you lose or you win more than you lose there – That's where you kinda start you start thriving and you can start seeing some hope from a playoff contention standpoint. And then like you said, you beat the Jets next week, which for the love of God they better do. So you beat the Jets, you go three and three, say the Bills are playing the Chiefs loose to the loose to the Bills, I mean loose to the Chiefs. Now we're one game back. So then and then obviously Mm -hmm. you're still gonna play them again, which is awesome, is what what you want to do when you're in a tight race. So It it definitely is encouraging. And again, you see that they're close. Again, I'm not expecting to be a Super Bowl contending team, but if you could do that to the Niners, like why couldn't you To the bills like you just saw Tennessee do why couldn't you to Cam Newton and and the Patriots. Again, I'm not expecting a win against the Chiefs, but A team like the Cardinals who I have as a kind of a toss up game. You should be able to beat them now. They're not as, as scary as you may have thought through two weeks. Same thing with, uh, like, even the Rams. Like, yeah, very good, but they're not Chiefs good. They're not – I'm not going to throw them in the guaranteed loss column good. And then same thing with the Chargers too. Like, that's a game – and then even the Broncos, who are kind of worse. That's a game you should win, I think, against the Broncos. The Chargers is going to be one you're going to have to earn. That's a big toss-up. I'd give the edge, obviously, to the Chargers. But what I'm getting is if you can steal some of those games while handling business against the bad teams – That's where you could sneak into that nine and seven, and even eight and eight might get you into the playoffs. Who knows?
0: Let's play a little hypothetical game here. So they beat the Jets, so they go to three and three going into the bye. The next three is Rams, Cardinals, Chargers. If you seal one of those, then you go into a stretch of the Broncos, Jets, and Bengals at four and five. And you win those next three, that's seven and five going into the final stretch where it's Chiefs, Patriots, Raiders bills Now, in the summer, if you said if I told you the Dolphins would be seven and five going into that stretch, you take that every day of the week. So Mm -hmm. it's definitely in front. There's definitely some sort of path for the Dolphins to squeak in. Yeah, and and again, the key is you just got to you got to steal, you got to take care of the teams you're supposed to beat, and then you got to steal one from either the Rams, Cardinals, and Chargers. That shouldn't be impossible.
1: No, not by any means. And that's what like obviously if you go. 0-3 0-3 oh, there, that's when you're like, ah, oh, shit, like we kind of had a big missed opportunity there. But if you take one, if not maybe even still two, that gives you, again, more relief on the back end because that finish is obviously tough. You got Bills, Patriots, Raiders, and then Chiefs. To, and that's what I mean. A good team will find a way to do that, or a great team, a playoff contending team, a Super Bowl contending team, will find a way to, to see those four games and go 2-2, and four, two and two, if not 3-1. and one. So, I mean, again, that, that's a game where they're going to have to step up. If they want to be an actual contending team in the division, you're going to have to steal one against the Patriots, especially when you play them at home. And, hey, maybe you steal one again against the Bills if you want to be a legit contending team in the division, not be a laughingstock like we've been for so many years. But I definitely think it, it is very encouraging when you line up the schedule after stealing that just that one game against the Niners. It sets them up pretty nicely.
0: So I had WWE on and I was like, What the hell's going on here? Like, had, like that this Halloween story. special. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was I was watching it over my shoulder, I was like, What the hell's going on? So anyway, I got sidetracked. Anyway, whatever. Um, yeah, I think the Dolphins do have an opportunity here and they should they should if as you said, a good team will find a way to get it done. And mm-hmm. if they don't get it done, then it means it wasn't in the cards this year. So you're playing with house money now because now yeah. they can make some noise and if they don't they weren't supposed to anyway so it's kind of a win-win for you
1: no and that's what I mean my if they if they uh, lost... but then they'll be eight and four and then blow it and then you'll be
0: sc- kicking and screaming <laughs> that's just the way yes, yeah
1: works. of course yeah if they if my biggest thing going to the season was if you go eight and eight nine and seven or anything more anything more than nine and seven is awesome even nine and seven is awesome. Eight and eight was pretty much where I had them at, if not seven and nine maybe. I was kind of saying less than seven wins was maybe a little bit of a letdown pending. Maybe they lost every game by like three points. I don't know. But it it kind of seems like they may finish up eight and eight. And I would say after what happened last year, winning five wins to now going eight and eight, I would say you're trending in the right direction. And then you're set up again. You still have some cap and you obviously have Tua coming in to make some noise and maybe actually contend for a division.
0: Let's finish this episode talking about the Giants, who are over – we, we really just timed this perfectly. I know. This is awesome. The YouTube videos that you picked out. The Giants oh, – the Giants. They almost had me believing for a second. They were up, what, 17-3, to 3, whatever the score was. Dak goes out. Like, they had this game in the bag. And then my mind works – what's in the future and i see in the future they have the redskins the washington there it is. football team. It is <laughs> there it is they had the they had the washington football team next week a team that they swept last year and a team that isn't good doesn't have a quarterback and then mm-hmm. on a short week they had the eagles who have the ravens next week so i was thinking if we beat the cowboys here and then we beat the Redskins the Washington football team. And then we beat the Washington football team and the Eagles lose to the Ravens. All of a sudden that Thursday night game between the Eagles and giants is for first place of the division. The giants could actually be in first place by the end of week eight. And all this was going through my mind. The giants pulled the game. It, it, it just drove me nuts. And this is the first game that they, they shot themselves in the foot. The other games, they just weren't good enough. They couldn't finish. They got killed, whatever
1: mm-hmm. this
0: game, they lost two touchdowns. On penalties. It was one illegal shift on a fake field goal to Ingram. There was another one um, escaping my mind for a minute but there was another there was another penalty on a touchdown play that ended up in a field goal so you missed two touchdowns there and then they let Andy Dalton come in after Dak's injury and just drive down the field and get a game when he field goal after Daniel Jones had a two minute drill with a tie game and he couldn't get it done. I, that's a game you have to win. If you're the giants, I don't care how young you are. I don't care yeah. how new everyone is. I don't care if it's a rookie head coach or a second year quarterback, those games that can swing your season into a different direction and can swing you back into playoff contention in a bad division. You have to win those games. And it was just a, it was a terrible loss for the Giants. I don't care about rebuilding. I don't care about, you know, no Saquon. I don't care about a rookie head coach getting his feet wet. That is an ugly loss for the Giants. Because now it's completely done that there's going to be – there's no nothing to watch for this season. Like, they had yeah. to win that game. It was for them. They were up, what, 17-3 to three at one point. Yeah. Dak, you know, had a pick six. The Giants got a pick six. I don't remember the last pick six the Giants have had. Yeah. Daniel Jones looked really relatively good first couple Mm -hmm. of drives uh ingram showed up finally yeah everything went right and they still lost
1: yeah and it's it's one of those things where like we kind of just talked about how you have to try to steal one of those games or you have to try to win those kind of close games and like you just said you're rattling off all these different things and i i've been really I don't know what, what's been going on, but it's like I look at one specific play or one, say, bad call, or non-call, and it, just, it feels like it affects the whole game and it feels like it could affect the whole season. So to my question to you is that play, that bomb from Dalton to I think it was Michael Gallup to put them in field goal range, do you think that was a season-changing play or season-altering kind of play right there? For who? The Giants or the Cowboys? I mean I, I guess you, you could say both, but more more so for for your giants I mean, I guess i'll
0: start with the cowboys it it's
1: saved them because they lose this
0: game and they're one in f- they're one in three or one in five or whatever one in four, I think it is one in four mm-hmm. and they lost their quarterback, and you know all of a sudden you know teams are going to start winning and then now you're behind the eight ball with a four game losing streak without your star quarterback, so it saved them for the time being. For the Giants, as I just said, they win that game, and then maybe you beat Washington, a team that you always beat, that you swept last year, and then, you know, the Eagles lose to the Ravens, and then you match up with the Eagles and the Giants on Thursday night, and you're in first place. Mm. At, at, the, at the time of that kickoff, on in week seven, week eight, like when you're not supposed to, when you started 0-4, that throw to Gallup killed the Giants' season. Destroyed it. Yeah. Um, it just it, it, they. It, it, this was a game that the Giants were given, and they, the 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 Cowboys were like, "Here, Giants, come back and join us in the division race." And the Giants said, "No,
1: we're good." Yeah, and, and that's what I mean with with division games. It's almost like obviously when you lose, they're they lost also twice. winning. So that exactly that that's that's the whole saying there. And this was a game where, if you can get ahead and you can kind of just establish yourself like that, that's got to be awesome. But it really feels like. The win is kind of taken out of the Giants. Almost, I would say, their season, the whole season sails right now. Yeah. Because it, it, it just, it's like, well, now what? Like, you you may, hey, you give the Cowboys another opportunity to beat you. They might just because they have a more experienced coaching. Who knows? But it just, if you could have stole that game, you could have been possibly going into a week 16, week 17, fighting for a division. Yeah. And now that, that one loss, it, just, it feels to me, obviously, we're over-exaggerating everything a little bit, but it just feels like, hey, the, like, the division chances are over, and obviously they're not getting into a wild-card spot going down 0-5. and There's just no way. No,
0: and, and another thing I want to talk about the Giants, and I'm, I'm getting reminded of this because the highlights are over your shoulder. Their offensive line for the last 10 years has been horrible. They have done nothing to prove the offensive line. I mean, Andrew Thomas is still, you know, to be seen. The jury's still out on him. They just picked him up but my god Daniel Jones had zero time at mm-hmm. all like he is mm-hmm. absolutely killed every single play and how much longer is this organization just going to ignore it I know they tried I know they spent a first round pick on Andrew Thomas but you need to do more than draft yeah it. you need to get a free agent you need to you know, spend that big money and get, you know, the highest paid offensive lineman in here. It's been way too long without that. And it's going to kill Daniel Jones. It's going to kill the giants.
1: Yeah. So, so my, my question too, is, and I heard this on on a podcast often's podcast I was listening to, and they talked about addressing a problem with the team versus investing in, in a position or the team. And I was really kind of thinking about that. And I was like, damn, that makes perfect sense. Like, a lot of times, and fans are, are guilty of this too, is that you sign one guy, oh, oh we, we drafted Andrew Thomas, we're good. We, we addressed the problem. But did they invest in the issue? And I don't know if they invested in it. I know they, they, they drafted the guy Lemieux, the center from Oregon, but two guys, that's it. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, Nate Solder's not even there. You didn't do anything else in, in free agency. And not to say that the Dolphins have figured it out, but you got to look at, they brought in a center, Ted Karras. They brought in your your favorite player, Eric Flowers, at left guard. They drafted Austin Jackson in the first round. They drafted Robert Hunt, a right tackle, in the second round. They drafted a right guard in the fourth round. And they still had five linemen. Obviously, they weren't very good. They're backups now. But you see what I'm getting at is that they invested and not just addressed. And that's what I think a lot of times fans are happy when their team just addresses. They're, ah, we signed this guy. We're good. The Jets. Wow, we signed Le'Veon Bell, and now we got a run game. We signed C.J. Mosley. We got this. Ah, we signed. We, you get what I'm getting at? Mm-hmm, Where yeah. you have to continuously invest in a team, and that's mm-hmm. what my question is: Do you think they are addressing issues with the Giants, or are they just, uh, or are they investing in them? I think mean, clearly addressing.
0: I mean, who? Kn- like, I could be wrong. I could be proven wrong if Andrew Thomas becomes the best lineman in the league. But, but it
1: takes more than him.
0: It takes more, much, more than one. Yeah. And they really haven't addressed it fully. Eric Flowers bust. The only real notable free agent that they've gotten for for the line is Nate Soldier. And he opted out. And when he plays, he's not that good. So he's not
1: worth twenty million dollars. No, he's
0: not worth twenty million dollars. No, and they signed him and they said exactly what you said. They signed him and said, Oh, we got soldier, we're fine. And it only took them to it only took for Soldier to not work out for them to take Andrew Thomas. Because remember they took Soldier well, I, think, I think they drafted Barkley first. So they drafted the running back first, knowing they didn't have an offensive line. And then they drafted Soldier. And then that didn't work out. So now they have to address it again get Andrew Thomas. It's, it's not a concrete, you know, investment. It's not a organizational a choice or an organizational philosophy to have a great offensive line. They think they can just plug and play. And for the last 10 years, it's been terrible. I mean, long are the days of, like, a Chris Snee, a Sean o- That's how the Giants won those Super Bowls.
1: I know. I mean, and, say and, and,
0: what you want about how good their defense was and Eli's last minute sick. drives. Eli had all the time in the world those years. His best years was when O'Hara and McKenzie and O'Hara were there, or Snape. And yeah. those guys were just a brick wall. They don't have that anymore. was the kick. Is this the kick? Is this, this it? Is the kick. This is. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, no, but it's it, it, and that was a, something that was really interesting to me because throughout my fandom of the Dolphins and even the Yankees too, with anything, if they just addressed it, I would be fine with it. But then it wouldn't pan out in the season, just like we see with the Yankees with Gerrit Cole. They addressed it, but they didn't invest in it, and that's what mm-hmm. I think. Not to get into baseball, obviously, but Ugh, that's what I, just I think a that. lot of teams, a lot of teams, and a lot of fans. Need to really start looking at their team and, and how are they hopefully investing in, in their issues, in their kind of weaknesses on their team. And I think that's something going forward, especially in the offseason, that we need to keep basically our teams in check and, and really evaluate what are they doing to get better. And that's what what I mean. I mean, I could have told you the Giants weren't going to be that that good. I could have told you the Jets were going to suck. And I always just say, what did you do from year to year? And the Giants, I think, did a lot more than the Jets. Obviously, that's why I think the Giants' defense, besides obviously that that bad kind of last drive against the Cowboys, has been doing pretty well. I, I would say that they've done, but well, and they they're starting they've to. They've been invest. all right. That's what, you got: Brad Bradbury, you got Blake Martinez. You you obviously are now Jabril in year two, whatever it is. Obviously, losing DeAndre Baker isn't ideal, but then you sign Logan Ryan. So and the, they had that, Xavier I mean, McKinney, who hasn't played yet. Yeah, so so it looks like they're investing in their defense. But their offensive line right now and even is, is not really being invested in. And yeah, you, such can't a draft
0: a, you, you can't draft a running back and a quarterback, back-to-back back and not have an offensive line to
1: protect them backwards. Yeah, and, and, unless, you, unless you just dump an insane amount of money in free agents. And not just one, but multiple. Because there's Four. five friggin' positions. And then you look at, all right, well, who's behind them then? Because that's the biggest thing, too, is that people get hurt in football, as we've seen. Like, like the Dolphins, they had their backup – rookie right uh tackle come in and play because our other rookie left tackle was hurt and they had a seamless transition because they have depth and they have good depth not just a shitty backup who's from the practice squad they have legit like really good starting potential depth on their bench and who's going to be mad about that and again that's what i mean i think when going into the draft we obviously all want the cool super super awesome running back and wide receiver but give me a nice big ugly lineman Multiple years, maybe even first and second round. Who gives a shit? Because we see in the NFL, you need an offensive line to be successful. Yeah. So, only time will tell if the Giants will
0: ever yes. figure it out with the offensive line. Because it's a shame. Because, obviously, they have Barkley, who's not getting any younger. And that rookie deal is going to end. You can same with Jones. Team. Yeah. yeah. So, I think that's going to be the main thing for the Giants. I don't think they're going to have the 0 oh, six. I don't think they're going to have the first overall pick. I think the Jets no, pretty much no. clinched it. But Their they're going to be top five. Good. They're going to be top five, and, you know, there's there's obviously going to be linemen that are going to be available. So we're going to see what happens. Um, before we get – before we sign off, any week six storyline that catches your eye this week? Um, Anything specifically?
1: Uh, I could read off a couple games for you. Read off – yeah, let me, let me hear. Let me hear. We some. got
0: Broncos – Broncos Patriots. We got Texans no. Titans, Browns Steelers, Eagles Ravens, Falcons Vikings, Lions Jaguars. Bengals, Colts, Bears, Panthers, Jets, Dolphins, Packers, Bucks—that's a good one. Rams, Niners, Chiefs, Bills, Cardinals, Cowboys on Monday night.
1: So I mean, you look at Chief, Chiefs, Bills is a good one, potential AFC championship match, and then I think NFC-wise, Bucks, Bucks, uh, and uh, and Packers—I think those are the, yeah. the top two kind of premier games right there.
0: Yeah, it's not a heavy schedule. It's not something that's going to blow you away. But I think the main marquee matchup will be, as you said, the Packers-Buccaneers. Um, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all here for it. 4-0 Rodgers Rogers against Brady at 3-2. and two. So, I'm excited. It'll be a good week. That's, it'll be a good week, and we'll talk about it next week on Can't Ice Wait. the Kicker. So that'll pretty much do it for us. For Matt Farrar, my name is Glenn Denegris. Thank you for listening to another edition of Ice the Kicker. We'll see you next time.